All right, Luke 17 is where we're at. Let's just, just jump right into it. Um, you know, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus here in Luke 17 is continuing on his way to Jerusalem. He's continuing on his way to the cross. And so what's Jesus doing here is he's starting now to not only make his way to Jerusalem, but to prepare the way for his disciples to continue his ministry after he will be uh, crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven. He's going to pass the baton on to these disciples. And so Jesus here, he's preparing them, and he's giving them a series of instructions now on certain things that are critically important. And Luke 17 is no different. It really is a focus on certain essentials of the Christian life. And uh, things that are key, really, to our walk with the Lord. And that's an important distinction. And let me make it just here up front. That as we study this, it's important that we understand Jesus here in Luke 17, he's not, de- he's not dealing with the way of salvation. Rather, Luke 17, really, Jesus is dealing with the path of service. Important distinction. There's two distinctly different things about the way of salvation and the path of service. The way of salvation, which most of the gospel is about the fact that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And it is about the way of salvation that he came um, to, to, to lead us into all truth and, and really to, to bring us to eternal life. Um, The way of salvation, really, the focus is what God did for you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's most of the Gospels. But as well, Jesus now dealing with the path of service. And the path of service is about what God desires to do through you. So the way of salvation, what God desires and what God did for you in the person and work in Christ. The way of service, the path of service, what God desires to do through you. And we need to understand that because, listen... When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you have surrendered your life to Him, not only does God save you supernaturally, miraculously, by grace through faith, but what then happens in your life, listen, it's not just a prayer and a profession of faith and then nothing changes. It's about living a new life with new behaviors and new habits. And what we often refer to this process is as salvation, sanctification, and service. We receive salvation by grace through faith, through what Christ has done for us, and we are then sanctified day by day by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who comes to take residence in our life once we're saved, and we are then sent to serve God uh, and His people through, again, the power of the Holy Spirit with the gifts and talents that we have received. And so this is the idea. So when we come now to Luke chapter 17, Jesus is addressing disciples who've been saved who now are being commissioned to go out and to serve. And so he's looking at the four essentials of the Christian life here in Luke 17 that are key to our walk. First of all, the essential of forgiveness. Secondly, the essential of faithfulness. Thirdly, the essential of thankfulness. And lastly, the essential of preparedness. And if you were with us last week, we looked at the essential of forgiveness, and today we're going to transition to the essential of faithfulness, and we're going to, we're going to camp out in these four verses that we're going to read together now all day long, and we're just going to look at all day long. You're going to be here till six tonight. Uh, I got a lot to say, no, but uh, the whole message is going to focus now on the essential of faithfulness. Uh, verse seven is where we pick it up. Jesus said, which of you having a servant 
plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Jesus is saying this, look, if you, got, if you have a servant and you know, he comes in from working, are, are, are you going to say, oh man, you've been working so hard, sit down, take it easy, relax. He goes, he's basically saying, no, you're going to say, you got more work to do. That's what he's talking about. He says um, in verse 10, so likewise you, when you have done all of those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. Now let's unpack this together. First thing I want you to notice is the word that he uses right there out the gate, uh, the word servant. Okay, see it three times in four verses. Jesus uses it in verse 7, he uses it in verse 9, and he uses it in verse 10. And if you're given to taking notes in your Bibles, you, you, you're going to want to circle that word servant. Here's what you write right by next to it. You write the word slave. Slave. That's literally what that word means. Okay? Word is slave. The idea is one who gives himself up to the will of another. And the interesting thing, uh, doulos is the, the, the word in the Greek that's used there for servant. And it comes from a root word which means to bind, right? To bind. The idea is that the slave is bound to the master. That the slave has this binding to the master and so every waking moment the, the, the compass of his life is not set to what he wants to do. He's bound to his master, and so the compass of his life is set to what the master wants him to do. And this word doulos, it referred not just to, you know, there were different words for different, that you had different types of slaves. The doulos was the slave who took the lowest form of servitude, okay? In other words, the doulos, he couldn't say, I don't do windows, you know, that's not my job. No, actually, it is your job. The doulos had, there was no task that was beneath a doulos. No duty too small, no duty too undesirable. You, the, the doulos couldn't say, oh, yuck, that's, I don't want to do that. I don't, I, make somebody else do that. The master would say, you're the doulos, you're the one who has, you know, the, the duty, the responsibility, the lowest form of servitude. There is, there is nothing that is beneath you. Um, this is the big idea of this thing. When Jesus is talking about the essential of faithfulness here, being a faithful servant, being a faithful slave is what he's talking about here. This is the big idea that the, this essential of faithfulness, well, what is it that we all as Christians, we, what do we want to hear? What does the Bible say? We want to get to heaven and we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The word is slave. Do you realize that? Oh, I want to hear the Lord say to me, well done, thou good and faithful slave. You're like, man, I, I, I want a little more self-esteem than that. No, you are a slave, and that's what we want to hear. But in order to hear that, we need to be a faithful slave to the Lord. Now, the Bible contains over 200 references to slaves. And the, the reason for this is because slavery was very common in biblical times. And you go, man, I don't like that word. And people will take exception 
with the Bible. Maybe you've had a conversation with somebody who says the Bible promotes slavery. Why is it that the Bible seems to condone slavery? Now, let me just go off on a tangent for a few minutes. And, and you need to pay attention to this for, for a couple of reasons. But one of the reasons is because we need to be ready to give a defense of the gospel. That's what the Bible says. And um, we need to give a defense of the hope that lies within us. We are called to be Christian apologists, right? We have to, a Christian apologist is somebody who, who defends the word. Not that God needs defending, but we need to be able, when somebody comes to us and say, oh, the Bible, you know, condones slavery. No, not really. See, here's the deal. First of all, the Bible doesn't condone slavery, all right? But... It is true that the Bible does not aggressively condemn the practice of slavery, at least the way that our 21st century sensibilities would like it to, okay? And it does, we need to understand, the Bible does give instructions on how slaves should be treated. Um, Deuteronomy 15, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, they deal with how you're supposed to treat slaves, but it doesn't seem to speak out against it like we might expect it to in our 21st century understanding of it. Well, let's say a few things about that. First of all, one of the crucial things you need to keep in mind about the Bible is that the purpose of the Bible is to proclaim the way of salvation for the lost and to proclaim the way of sanctification for saints. Sanctification being that $10 Christian word we use, which basically means that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You're saved, you become a new creation in Christ, and then this begins a lifelong process of God sanctifying you sanding off the rough edges and molding and shaping you into the image of Christ and preparing you for deeper levels of service and so on. And so that's the focus of the Bible. The focus of the Bible is not to reform the world's society. That's not the focus of the Bible. Now, it will be reformed. The world's society will be reformed as a byproduct of you becoming sanctified in your life you know, as a byproduct of your faith. You know, if you, it, when you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ uh, and you begin to walk obediently to the Lord in his word, then what God will do is he, as he sanctifies you, you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better neighbor. You're going to be a better worker and all of these things. Hopefully, as God sanctifies you, and, and eventually what that's going to do is that will change our society, but the primary reason that God gave his, his word to us wasn't to change this world, it was to change you and prepare you for heaven. That's the primary reason that God gave you uh, his word. I like the way Professor Michael Hoodman from Calvary Theological Seminary puts it. He said, the Bible often approaches issues from the inside out. If a person experiences the love and mercy and grace of God by receiving his salvation, God will reform his soul, changing the way he thinks, changing the way he acts. And he says a person who has experienced God's gift of salvation and freedom from slavery of sin, as God reforms his soul, will realize that enslaving another human being is wrong. And he will see with the Apostle Paul that a slave can be a brother in the Lord, a person who has truly experienced God's grace will in turn be gracious towards others. That would be the Bible's prescription um, for ending slavery, end quote. 
And so, so this is the first thing to consider about the Bible. When it talks about slavery, it's like, well, you know, the, the, really the, the purpose of the Bible isn't to change the culture, it's to change you and indirectly the culture. Another thing to consider regarding references to slavery in the Bible, we need to understand that in biblical times, um, slavery was very different than the slavery of today that we might understand at, you know, in our culture. As we understand slavery today, slavery is based on things like kidnapping and subjugation and, and oppression and skin color and nationality and treating people and having the attitude that you are inferior to me. This is the way that we look at slavery today. But the Bible in biblical times you know, it didn't look at it that way. We look at it that way, and we go, oh, man, that's wrong. And by the way, the way that we perceive slavery today, the Bible speaks against that kind of slavery. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Here's what Genesis 127 says. It says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This, is, this speaks to our modern, one of the modern elements of slavery when we go, Oh, you know uh, that you're you're less human than me. You're 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 you know you're not as good as me. You know, kind of thing. The, the element of slavery that says you know you're inferior. Well, God says nobody's inferior. That He He created man in His image. By the way, this is one of the reasons, one of many reasons, why we are so adamantly opposed to abortion. Because all life is sacred. Life, God has created life and man is created in the image of God, you know. And so it, it, this is, this is the, the, argues to that same attitude for, for slavery. Additionally, there's lots of other verses in the Old and New Testament that, that condemn the practice of man-stealing. Um, which is a fundamental part of modern slavery, where I'm going to kidnap you and subjugate you and so on. That's abhorrent to God. Here's what Deuteronomy 24-7 says. It says, if anyone kidnaps a fellow Israelite and treats him as a slave or sells him, the kidnapper must die. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Does that sound like God condones slavery as we understand it? No, he does not condone that behavior. He says that person's got to die so we can purge that kind of evil out. Similarly, in the New Testament, slave traders are listed uh, among those that are ungodly and sinful. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 9, or 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 9. He says, The law was not intended for people who do what is right, it's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, and here it is, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. So God does not condone slavery the way we understand it. Now having said that, by and large, slavery in biblical times was not based on the way we understand it today. It was not based on oppression and race and subjugation and so on. Yes, there were those instances of it, which is why we have these scriptures in the Bible that speak against that type of slavery. Um, but most practically, slavery in biblical times was based on economics, where, where one of a couple of things might happen. Either you have somebody who sold themselves into slavery because they just got themselves so deeply into debt that they couldn't climb out of debt, and so they said, well, I'm just going to sell myself into slavery to relieve myself of my debt. Now, this isn't 
all that different from the guy I talked to a few weeks ago who told me, I absolutely hate my job, but what can I do? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Like, I have to work at this job. It's not that different. As well, somebody might choose to be a slave in biblical times just as a career path. You know, there, there were doctors and lawyers, even politicians, who, I could go off on that, but it, who, who, they chose this as a career path, and they were slaves. They worked for a master. Here's a great example. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. Who's it written by? It's written by Dr. Luke, who most theologians believe was himself a slave. He wrote the, the Gospel of Luke as well. He wrote the book of Acts in our Bibles. And you know there in the book of Acts, he addresses it to some dude named Theophilus, lover of God. And it, it's presumed that Theophilus was actually his master. That, you know, he's a lover of God and he had released Dr. Luke, his slave, to go serve alongside and to minister to the Apostle Paul. But basically he was kind of on loan to him. And so he's writing back to, to his master to, to keep him appraised of everything that's going on. So all of that to say this, when Jesus speaks of servants, when he speaks of slaves here in, here in Luke 17 and elsewhere in Scripture, he's not condoning slavery as we understand it. He's simply illustrating a point based upon the common practice of the day. And here's the point that he's making. you got to get this. That just as a doulos served the master in their day, so too Christians have to serve God in our day. All right? That's the attitude. That's the idea. That's the biggie on the eye chart of this section of Scripture here in Luke 17. We have to be servants. In other words, when you were saved... You weren't saved to be the master. And somebody gets this, lots of people get this backwards. It's like, I came to Jesus, and now I'm in charge, and he's like, you know, my genie. And, and I get the three wishes, and he's here to do my bidding. You've got it all backwards. When you are saved, you are saved, and you are now a slave to your master. God becomes master. He is Lord. That is the way that it works. You're the one who has given himself up. You're the one who's given herself up, what, to the will of another. And who is the another? It's none other than the person, it's none other than the person Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, God the Father. He is now the master, right? God is now the master of your life. Here's what Paul told the Corinthians. He says, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies, right? Who bought you? Who bought you? God, right? At a price. What was the price? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Why was Christ's blood shed? Because you owed a debt you could never repay. In a thousand lifetimes, you could never repay the debt that you owe. So God bought you with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That makes him master. It makes you slave. Now, the, idea, the focus here has to do, and Jesus makes it clear, he tells this story. He says, look, you got this slave, and he's been out working, and the job that he describes is pretty strenuous, right? He was out plowing the field, or he's out tending the sheep, both very strenuous, labor-intensive activities. And he says, so the, that slave comes in, and he says, when he's done, does he come in and sit down at the dining room table 
kick his feet up on the table, put his hands behind his head, and say, what's for dinner? He's a doulos. What would the master say? He'd say, well, I don't know. What are you making? Because that's what, I'm pretty sure that's what's for dinner. This is what the Lord is talking about. He's talking about, look, this faithfulness is not a nine-to-five prospect. You as a Christian, your faithful obedience to God is not a nine-to-five prospect. It's not like, hey, I punched my card, and now I've, I've punched out, and now I'm off duty, right? That's not the attitude. It's not this, this nine-to-five prospect where, oh, I've served in some sacrificial way, and now I get a pass to slack off. Let me put it this way. Jesus is talking here about those things that are essential in the Christian life. And he's just talked about, just preceding this issue of faithfulness, he's talked about the need to forgive. Now, you know, we, we said, and we went through it, and made the observation that forgiveness is one of those details, it's one of those issues for the Christian that's just like, you know, the motorcycle rider. There's two types, them that have been down, them that are going down, right? And so when it comes to forgiveness, this message preaches to every single person who can fog a mirror in the room, because we all have to deal with it. You're either dealing with an issue of forgiveness now, you have a recent memory of some issue where you had to deal with forgiveness, or it can be guaranteed that in the future, you're going to have to deal with forgiveness. And is forgiveness easy, or is it hard? It's hard, right? And what's the temptation? The temptation is to go, I'm not going to obey in that area. Temptation is to go, I'm blowing that off. Like, that's just too much. I'm dealing with, with a situation now where this family is working through this issue of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, me and Brenda, I mean, last week, over eight hours engaged in dealing with, not consecutively, but c- cumulatively over the week, just trying to help <clears throat> this family through this. And let me just say, it would have been so easy for those that are dealing with this to, to tap out and go, you know what? I'm all done. I'm all done. I, I work. You know what? I, what? What more do you want from me? I plowed this field all day long, and now I'm done, right? That's the idea. That's the attitude. And, and the point here is it's that way with every aspect of our service to God. We have to understand this. We're talking about obedience, okay? We're not just talking about the, the tasks that we do in the exercise of our gifts and talents, but that's included as well. See, here's what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 12.1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, right? And so there is this sacrifice that we are to do as servants, and that sacrifice is, Lord, this is my life but it doesn't belong to me. You're the master, and I present it to you. You tell me what to do, and I'm going to do it. That's the point that Jesus is making here. And so it may well be that, you know, we, we approach the Scripture, and we read this, and, you know, the application is, oh, God, you know, what do you want? I've been, obeyed, I've been obedient to, you know, to, to work hard and to provide for my family. You say, you know, if nobody, if a guy isn't willing to work, then he shouldn't eat. I've taken that to heart. Like, I work hard and I provide for my family. But God, I'm not willing to serve, um, you know, the body of Christ in some particular way because I'm busy. 
that would fit the category here, what Jesus is talking about. That you essentially have come in from the field, and now you say, hey, what's for dinner? And the Lord's like, hey, you're a doulos. Like, you know, you're, you're supposed to be part of the serving process. And some of you go, oh, that's convenient. PT is working on getting more children's ministry workers here. We're always in need of more children's ministry workers. Amen. But let me, but let me take it a step further. Don't just think within the four walls of this church. How about this? How about, you know, some of y'all, you, you have very hard jobs. You work really hard, okay? And, and I know most of you, most families uh, today are dual-income families. Husbands and wives both work. So I'll, I'll, use, I'll use an example from, from the male side, but, but, but just because I'm a male, I understand that the, the, this application works the same way. But, you know, from the male side, okay, you look, you've worked hard. You worked all day. And you come home at the end of the workday, and, you know, if you're sinful like me, what you're thinking is, I'm done. I'm gassed. Don't ask me for anything. Do you know why guys love television, by the way? Do you know why we love to sit on the, the just give me the remote, and I just sit right here? Because the TV just loves unconditionally, man. It just gives and gives. It doesn't ask you for anything. It doesn't ask you how your day was. It doesn't ask you to recount, you know, the different details and aspects of your day. It doesn't ask you to take out the trash. It doesn't ask you to do anything. You don't even have to pay attention to it. You can fall asleep while it's talking to you, and it won't cop an attitude that you don't listen to it. Right? It just loves you and gives to you. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Stay with me. You might be faithful servant of God by saying, look, hey, I'm being a productive member of society. I'm providing for my family. Praise Jesus. But you know what? You're also a husband. You're also a parent. Right? You also have duties and responsibilities that are waiting for you there at home. And as a man of God, as a woman of God, you can't compartmentalize your faith and say, I'm going to be faithful in this area, but over here in this area, it's all about me. The sun rises and sets on me, and I'm going to set that. No. Do you get what I'm saying? We have to be responsible to say, God, I belong to you. And so what areas of duty do I now have to fulfill? Now, I'm not saying you work real hard, you get home and you go, look, I just need, I just need 15 minutes to, to get saved for crying out loud. Like, I, I just need to get sane or whatever. That's fine. But what I am saying is the attitude that says I can compartmentalize my life and right now I don't have to act like a Christian. Right now I don't have to obey the Lord. See, that's the attitude, that's the idea. It's that way with every aspect of our service to God. We need to say, what's next? What other area do you want me to be faithful in, God? How can I do this? See, here's what's in view. Let me put it on the screen for you. As you work hard in obeying God in one area, number one, it doesn't relieve you from your duty to faithfully work hard serving in other areas of your life as a Christian. Okay, secondly, it doesn't make God or anyone else for that matter indebted to you. 
okay? Doesn't make that person indebted to you. Sometimes, or I mean, I've been a pastor almost 30 years. And, I, and by God's grace, I mean, this church gets it, man. We have such faithful servants at this church. I'm so grateful for people who get it. You know, Mark 10, 45, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And people come and they give. And I'm so grateful for that. But, but there are those times when somebody maybe will co- begin to cop an attitude. They'll get angry. They'll get upset. They start, you know, feeling like um, resentful. Is the, is the word. They're resentful for the things they do. And, and I just, you know, and, and over the years, I've had occasion to tell people, listen, if you're doing this for me, stop. You're not, I mean, this isn't, you're not doing me favors, and if you are, you shouldn't. You should stop that. If you're doing this for recognition from people or for a pat on the back, like, yeah, we should encourage people, but if that's the motive, Stop. Why? Because it's, it'll never be enough. You have to do what you do because, God, I'm doing this for you. This is an act of worship. I'm serving you. You're the, I'm not the master. Realize church isn't the master. Jesus is the master. We either serve Jesus and do it for him or we shouldn't do it at all. <clears throat> and that's what Jesus is talking about here in verse 10. Look at it again. What's he say? He says, so likewise you... Likewise, just like a slave that I've described who comes in after working all day and says, what do you want for dinner and serves some more? He says, likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, there's the key, you've done the things that God has commanded you to do, here's what you got to say. He says, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, that word unprofitable, that's big time. You circle it, maybe nearby. Here's what you write. You write without need, because that's what that word means. It means without need. Here's the idea. Nobody owes you anything. That's what it means. Your attitude is, I don't need your praise, your accolation, you know, your accolades, your, your you know, even gratitude. No. It's we are without need. I don't need that. Why? Because I'm doing this as an act of worship. And so when I do all of these things, man, and I'm serving and I'm like, I come home and I, okay, now I'm being a good faithful husband. And okay, now I'm I'm being a good faithful dad. And I'm I'm taking my kid to Awana and I'm, you know, I'm serving some more. And then, you know, oh, I got to fight with the neighbor and oh, I want to punch the guy in the nose. And oh, no, I got to be obedient to God here too. I got to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Such will be, such are sons of God. Okay, Lord, I'll I'll suck it up and serve some more. And and now, oh, I got to pray. I got to spend some time in prayer. I got to get, you know, filled up and, and, and oh, you know, the, the kid's sick and I got to wake up in the middle of the night and Lord, I just want, just Calgon, take me away. Like you, your diaper is dirty again. And oh my gosh, just what a, what snot, somebody else wipe that snot nose or whatever it is. And you're thinking, I just want to quit. And you go, God, this, I, I'm, I'm going to do this as worship for you. I'm just going to do this as worship for you. And you know what? You go to bed and tomorrow, it starts all over again. And you don't clock out and you don't say somebody needs to show me some thanks or appreciation or mama's going on strike or whatever it is. It's just this issue of I'm going to serve. Why? Jesus says in verse 10, it's your duty. It's your duty. Another word you might want to circle. It's your duty. Nearby, here's what you could write. To owe or to be indebted to. That's what that word duty means. It means you owe it. 
See, let's put them together. Let's, let's put these two words together, okay? We're looking at unprofitable. We're looking at duty. And we put them together. Here's what they mean. Nobody owes you anything, but you owe Jesus everything, okay? Nobody owes you anything, but you're indebted to Jesus because he bought you with his blood. See, that's the attitude, that's the idea. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, God owes us nothing. He gave us everything pertaining to life and godliness in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me draw this to a close, okay? Let's just wrap this whole thing up. Back in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said something really similar to his disciples. He basically talked about the needfulness to watch, and he used the same illustration of the servant and his master's But he adds a twist in that story in in Luke chapter 12. He adds an amazing promise. And the amazing promise that he adds is this, that after we have served faithfully, that the day's coming when Jesus is going to serve us. Here's what what, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for the master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Right up to there, it's the same thing. You got duty, you got responsibility, you're the slave, he's the master, you got to watch for him. But then he adds this, assuredly I say to you that he will gird himself and he will have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in regards to Luke chapter 17 and with Luke uh, chapter 12 in view. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says, kind of defining this whole thing, sort of encapsulating this whole thing. He says, this story emphasizes faithfulness to duty no matter what the demands might be. And the argument is from the lesser to the greater. What's he talking about that? Well, he's talking about this servant example that Jesus uses. He says, if a common servant is faithful to obey the commands of his master who does not reward or thank him, how much more ought Christ's servants obey their loving master who has promised to reward them graciously? And that's the promise, guys. God has promised to reward us graciously. And so today, here's what I want our focus to be on. It's on faithfulness, okay? We want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's get it in our minds. That's who we are. I'm a slave of Jesus. And a slave doesn't say, I don't do windows. A slave says, yes, sir. Yes, sir.